everyone, just a quick warning about this week's episode, this movie, because it's in the genre of what's called a, a roughie. It involves some graphic violence against women. So there will be discussion of sexual assault, physical violence, um, and uh, sexualized violence and distress, which is just typical within that genre. So that is going to be heavily played into this episode, this discussion. There's reason behind it, but if that's something that is uh, distressing to a listener, perhaps skip this episode. Oh, I can't believe it. What did I do? What did I do? If Ted had stayed home today, this wouldn't have happened. No one will believe that I didn't go to that... that man's apartment willingly. What can I do? I'd better go away. But where? Where can I go? Oh, poor Ted. I'll go to New York. I can get lost in the crowds there. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it is June, and we decided two months too late to do a bunch of movies uh, that were made by women, even though Women's History Month was a while ago. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting to it now, and this month, or this week, we are watching Bad Girls Go to Hell, directed by Doris Wishman, and since two white dudes talking about women filmmakers just... Seems way too on the nose for any podcast. Uh, we have some help this week. Uh, welcome Molly Regan to the show. Uh, welcome back, I should say, Molly Regan to the show. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, and I, good news for you guys and everyone. Um, we can talk about women filmmakers all the time. So, uh, <laughs> very excited. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, this is something that I, I think. Hold the phone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We can actually do this all the time. So I think June's a perfectly, uh, cromulent month to have a women filmmaker, uh, focused month. So we're, we're good to go. Are you sure we're not going to okay. get in trouble? I, I feel like I'm qualified to speak on this it's okay okay all right <laughs> if you could get waivers at the next meeting that would be ideal uh i will have some women sign off on uh allowing <laughs> us to discuss women's work <laughs> <laughs> well i uh... i think discussing women filmmakers far too late is actually a good starting point for Doris Wishman <laughs> because uh, I think it leads in perfectly, which uh, I think we should say that Doris Wishman was a big inspiration for, for doing a month of women filmmakers uh, because uh, Molly and I sort of got invested in her stuff recently. They, the new Beverly screened some of her films and uh, Criterion has done like a thing on her. So she's starting to get a, like a lot more attention recently and her stuff's really fascinating. 
And so, you know, she, for people that don't know, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with her, she is the most prolific women, like, filmmaker, period. Like, she made 30 films in her lifetime. If that doesn't exemplify the sexism that is Hollywood, I don't know what does. Yeah. Yeah, like, throughout her life made 30-plus films and, you know, was successful. But, yeah, most people have not heard of her. She just never... Well, yeah. Yeah. That just that a woman... That the most prolific woman filmmaker has made 30 movies, which would put her probably pretty low on the list of most prolific filmmakers, period. Well, that's the thing. When I I think of, like, prolific filmmaker, 30 isn't the number that comes to mind. Well, and I think the other part of it is that she made these movies on the fringes of the fringes of the movie-making machine. Yeah. And... Uh, that's probably why she was able to become the most prolific filmmaker that is also a woman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that, if you want a, a question about the sexism that is Hollywood filmmaking, I think this is the intro and the conclusion to that <laughs> argument in a lot of ways. Yeah, just I did a quick like letterboxed check. And according to letterboxed, uh, Steven Spielberg has directed 43 <laughs> films like so just as a baseline as someone I picked randomly. And there's definitely male directors who have done more than that, like and fewer that are still considered prolific filmmakers. I mean, 30 is a lot of feature movies that I mean, that is a, a fairly high number. But I'm sh- like Hitchcock made at least 30, you know, when I, a lot of people made a lot of movies. I think also the fact that she made films across four decades, like, you know, which is also a feat. You know, a lot of directors don't last that long. Yeah. So the 30 films over like 40 years, uh, she's been called the female Ed Wood, which we've heard of Ed Wood. So I think that's also like noteworthy as she's- well. She's also uh, been cited as a major influence and uh, just a general. He's uh, John Waters is a big fan. Yes. Of yeah. Her work. Uh, so if you're familiar with John Waters' work, uh, I mean, we're all like from Baltimore, like big, big clue into her, uh, her style. Yeah. Uh, and. <clears throat> If you've only seen John John Waters movies and then you see a Doris Wishman film, be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. Yep, that that, tra- that totally tracks. Yeah. That that one hundred percent. That meshes. That fits. I get it. Uh, and it's also uh, June first, which is was a few days ago, was Doris Doris Wishman's birthday. Yes. So yeah. you know that's one of the reasons that uh, she is the first up for this month. So it's as close as proximal to her the anniversary of her birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, she lived to be a truly, like, amazing, grumpy old lady. And it makes me very happy. <laughs> like, if you find footage of her, like, in the early 2000s being interviewed about her movies where she's just wearing sunglasses. And uh, we lost her, I think, in 2002. But, uh, yeah. she. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, but, yeah, she was really interesting. She became a filmmaker after her husband died. Like, just needed something to do to fill her time. And was like, I'm going to make movies. And at the time, they had just passed laws uh, that made nudies legal because uh, in the ever, you know, like America has always had a long and weird and complicated history with like censorship and whatever. So at some point it was decided you could do nudity in movies if they were about nudist colonies 
And so she kind of saw that opportunity. So her first films were were nudies, as they're called. But what's funny is she even got in trouble with that because she made a movie called Nude on the Moon. Great movie. Which is, yeah, which Wally and I did watch Nude on the Moon. But what was funny is that got challenged. The state of New York banned it because they were like, look, you can film a real nudist colony, but this is a story. Like, this is... <laughs> Like, because they were doing this kind of, even though that wasn't what they were, it was this understanding of like, it's a documentary or like, you're just capturing right. a real place. So if you're going to set it in a sci-fi setting, that's not allowed. But all of that to say, so that was kind of her early work. And then eventually the censorship laws loosened up and we got uh, what are called roughies, which is what this movie, Bad Girls Go to Hell is considered, which are uh, the pendulum swinging way too far the other way. You go from this sort of innocent... Uh, topless ladies playing volleyball or whatever to roughies, which were uh, these very like grindhouse exploitive films. Yeah, also known as sexploitation movies. Yeah. yeah, where women were, yeah, exploited and, you know, it's sort of similar to any other like exploitation films of the 60s and 70s of just terrible things happening in very tawdry usually yeah, very cities. worst case scenario yeah like just I mean, bad i mean uh, let's put it bluntly like sexual violence oh yeah like, no yeah. i mean especially in the case of of this movie i mean i'm not super up on my roughy uh filmography but oh but that's what yeah, this movie yeah but that, i mean yeah. that is yeah. but yeah that is sort of par for the course well, it's kind of like a, this is a key exemplar of that genre well kind of a you know like overall kind of a meeting of like there's the like exploitative like sexual violence with almost kind of like a a lot of them having sort of a almost like film noir look to them almost so that's where you get the kind of like how the genre is almost built yeah i kind of i I did actually pull a definition to help which is from uh like a wikipedia for grindhouse films that said uh, roughies were a more aggressively lurid subgenre of the classic sexploitation cinema. These films injected violence and sadism into the standard, rather innocent, soft core mix. They featured stories dealing with S&M, kidnappings, and sexual abuse. It was pretty sick stuff and perfect for the adult grindhouse theatergoers who craved more seedy, exciting thrills. So, this is... I mean, do do we want to start talking specifically about bad girls go to hell? No time like the present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to give some context before we get into it, just to in case we were wondering why we were doing this or, or, you know, like just a little bit about Doris Wishman. But yeah, let's actually get into this movie. So. I don't know, maybe if I can sort of, I don't know, I guess lay down just a, a little bit of a, I don't know, framework feels well, it's the word I'm going to use. So that's roughies. How dare you? <laughs> I feel like I've been spending too much time in philosophy classes where it's like, let me define things before I talk about them. But um, what a terrible practice. Uh, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> um, but so that's, you know, so now we sort of understand what like roughies in general are. There's. A really, we just watched a little, uh, Joel and I just watched a brief interview with Doris Wishman, uh, where she kind of says that she doesn't think you can tell that a woman directed this film. I disagree. Um, I think there's still a lot of uh, all of those elements of the roughies, but... 
as we'll go on to kind of discuss what happens in the movie, I think there is a certain um, slant to some of the narrative that does. I think you can tell that there is a bit of a female perspective coming in. Yeah, I would almost argue based on that, that this movie in a lot of ways seems like a woman's interpretation of the male gaze a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Which, um, which, it, which I think is an interesting way to make a movie. Yes. Well, it's also probably worth mentioning since we've said so much about this genre, she was pretty much the only, at least the only significant uh, woman filmmaker who made these. So like there, there might've been other ones, but like she was the only one that was like <clears throat> known in the industry for making these. But yeah, I, I think, I think it's safe to say that we would not be doing a film that if it was just a roughy, no offense to if, you know, anyone in, you like enjoys the genre. I don't like I don't think we would be spotlighting. I think what was interesting to me and I think Molly and uh, why we wanted to talk about it was because it feels like it's taking this genre and sort of subverting the expectations of it, that it's it's sort of promising you oh, you, you like these kind of movies, we're going to show this to you, and then being like, but also, it is from a like a more of a woman's perspective, and it's like, let's think about what we're watching and why we're watching it, and it's sort of confronting you with the genre a bit more. Then again, I haven't seen other roughies, but that I would imagine was standard in the genre. Yeah, I'm going to be real honest, I don't have a whole lot of interest in watching other roughies. Yeah, I no, know. I don't know why either. I couched that more. I don't want to watch them. <laughs> like, well, that's the I I, I think don't, I was trying to be diplomatic for no reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't have a high tolerance for that kind of content. So there needs to be a good reason for me to take that in um and they're like why are we here what's the overall purpose for this um and if it's just well isn't it you know well this is just what people want no i'm i'm not into that <laughs> right yeah if it's just uh enacting like some sort of rape fantasy or something like that that's not yeah. what i want that's not what i want um, and th that's that's not what this movie is, but I guarantee that if you put this in front of some eyes without giving them any context or background, I could see how someone would might think that. Mm -hmm. um, and I could see I, I could see a little bit where Doris Wishman's coming from, where if you showed this movie to some people without any context, I think they'd be and then like drop that. But this was made by a woman. You, you'd, I think, might blow some minds with that, too. Well, I also think there's. For some individuals, um, and especially from what I've heard from certain, like, women creators, especially brought up of a certain time in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there's a general, uh, there's an instinct to basically go, no, I'm, I'm not different, I'm the same. Like, so I kind of get a little bit of that feeling of like, no, it, it, like, this is just me creating, it's not because I'm a woman, it's just take that out of it so i got well, there's a little, a little bit anything of, you can do i can do better yeah i got a little bit idea. of that vibe uh, yeah which is valid i'm not gonna you know that's an issue of self-determination um but 
to me, I'm like, no, this, like, you can still see this in the difference between, like, male directors directing, like, directing sex scenes today and, you know, or just directing a shot of a woman and all of a sudden their crotch is in it. Why? A sex scene or a woman walking in a door. Exactly. (laughs) Um, There's a certain care and tenderness in Bad Girls Go to Hell uh, that seems very, very evident that a woman made this movie. Well, like we recently, uh, for, during last month when we had previous guests on and they picked something, we did the film Sucker Punch. And I think even that, which is kind of not the same thing, but it's still like dealing with uh, sexual violence and, uh, you know, women being exploited and all that. And it's that is definitely the difference between that and this in terms of where the oh, where the yeah. camera is pointed, what is important. Uh, even just yeah, the, the, what takes up the frame, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. And even just the the style of storytelling of like that, that's very much looking at like, but these women are so powerful and empowered and they're fighting back in their minds or what. I don't want to relitigate that movie. But point being, this movie <laughs> is much more like she doesn't have a chance. You know, there's really nothing that she can do that. She's sort of I mean, it's called Bad Girls Go to Hell. It feels like she's in hell for this movie that yeah. she's just trapped in this cycle and everywhere she leaves, you know, she every time she leaves somewhere, the next place is just as bad or worse than just, the place before. Yeah, just a different kind, uh, like a well, yeah, a different type of the same. Yes, <laughs> you yeah. know, Th- this movie is either like the really long first act of the absolutely most horrific uh, time loop movie ever, or like it's just because I mean, kind of like loops in on itself at the end yeah. that's sort of like how it goes and yeah like this you know the the lead character the lead character meg uh slash ellen just gets put through absolute hell yeah yeah which maybe it's worth like because we, we're kind of talking around it but i imagine there might be people who are listening who haven't seen it so yeah maybe we should set up uh the plot a little bit so uh yeah she she wakes up with her husband uh, they, you know, they're in bed together, which it starts, yeah, like you said, it's a loop, right? So it starts that she's had a bad dream, right? I believe. And then mm-hmm. uh, her husband has to go to work and she is begging him to stay. And then she's sort of in their apartment alone. When she ventures out of the apartment, there's a janitor custodian who sexually assaults her. And then she eventually ends up killing him by like grabbing an ashtray and hitting him with it. And then she flees to New York and then essentially goes from place to place in New York, meeting different people that all invite her in to stay at whatever place, you know, whatever apartment they have. And then also are terrible in very, very similar, but varied ways in terms of the first guy is like a, you know, sort of he doesn't drink. He doesn't want anything from her until he drinks and then. He becomes violent and assaults her. Uh, Then if I have the order right, then she stays with a woman who basically throws herself at her as well. And that seems nice, but like at first, but then also she decides she needs to leave there. She doesn't really want to be with her either. Uh, Then there's then it's a married guy who also assaults her. And then eventually she finds a woman who needs like a health care, you know, like some kind of in-home care 
whose son is the detective who's trying to find her. And so then she's caught. And then, yeah, she basically wakes up back like it was all a dream and she's back in the apartment and then the as andy kind of that day to, starts again yeah, yeah the day starts again it's a very groundhog day essentially at the end yeah that's that is the plot of this movie yeah it's i remember like when we saw it like i kind of just sat there like really taking it in just being like i i don't like i couldn't quite wrap my mind around it because i'm like it's obviously it fits within that kind of like sexploitation kind of thing. But I'm like, there's so much more kind of going on there because I'm like, she's at home, you know, with her husband and really kind of like begging, basically begging him to stay home because uh, this whole thing is uh, it's Saturday, but he just has to go into work. And I'm going like, well, no, you don't like it's Saturday. Stay home and be with me. Spend time with me. And he's really brushing her off and really, like, infantilizing her. Just doing that, like, you know, no, just don't worry. Oh, just give me a smile. Like, he literally, yeah, like, we'll, picks we'll her. We'll go dancing later, yeah, like really I always picks tell her you up to. And, like, tosses her on the bed. I'm just like, oh, don't, don't have any interiority or ask anything of me. Go to bed, idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but so she, you know, goes about her day trying to just clean up their, their home. And as she's going to, like, take the trash out, that's when this uh, janitor, I mean, you know, he attempts to rape her. Let's make it clear. An attempted rape is still a sexual assault. But she's, I think somebody, uh, like, is about to walk in on them. So he lets her go and basically threatens her of, like, don't you dare tell anyone. Like, get up and leave. And then slips a note under her door to be like. basically. Saying, if you don't come back to my apartment, I'm going to tell everyone that you seduced me in the hallway. Yeah, and I'm going to tell, tell your husband. And I'm going to tell your husband, making it clear that, like, the greatest, you know, like, your husband, like, her ultimate currency is the value she has towards her husband. That's clearly established in the first. Right. Like, which, I'm like, again, as you've said, Andy, like, no desire to watch another, like, roughy, but there's already a lot of sort of i guess elevated social commentary going on there um but so she ends up going to this guy's apartment because like to like there's issues of like coercive control like oh god what's gonna happen like i have to go there where he violently attacks her um right she one <sighs> This seems really fascinating to me because it's definitely in that, like, it's very, it's very violent. It's very upsetting. But there's, like, I've watched it twice now. I've watched it the first time. Joel and I went to the New Beverly and then we rewatched it for the show. And both times I'm really fascinated by, like, there's a, a turning point in the scene where like she's sort of doing a sort of like damsel in distress struggle with the guy like a very maybe it's a weird thing to say but almost feels demure to me like an almost kind of you know like no mister don't don't do this 
Well, a super common trope, I think, in uh, non-ruffies, especially in the 50s and 60s, would be a man, for lack of a better word, forcing himself on a woman and then the woman relenting. Yeah. And like these scenes almost like kind of tease that. But then she went back to actually resisting. Yeah. Sort of turning that trope on his head a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Like there is. Yeah, like a bit of that, like, yeah, relenting, like really playing like literally every kiss in a hitchcock movie i think that's how that starts yes so really playing into that but then what happens is and this is again where i'm like you can this is where i feel like no you can tell a woman directed this is we zero in on a shot where like you actively see him he pulls her underwear off we zero in and see the underwear is now on the bed this is very important narratively and now the stakes have been raised and that's when things turn. She's no longer like, you know, go like playing damsel. And that's when she goes and grabs an ashtray, smacks him over the head and kills him. Like there's a turning point there where it's like, oh, no, this is going to happen. I'm going to kill you now. Like, I'm not playing around. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me to watch where I'm just like when we talked about like subverting that genre of being like, we're watching this very upsetting, violent scene, but there's a clear point where Doris Wishman goes like, Oh no, this is where right here, this is the default, the demarcation point where like, Nope, she's going to kill him. This happens now he's dead. Yeah. I, I think maybe it's also worth talking about the fact that again, the idea that, well, you can't tell that a woman directed it, that, I think with this scene and with every scene that we see that where like this kind of um, violence is happening, that it's all explicit without being graphic. That yeah, that the way that she films it is never graphic or like actually, you know, like it. The things that she focuses on, like Molly kind of said, is like the underwear or focuses in on the ashtray or whatever like you're getting all the details to be very clear about what's happening without filming the actual upsetting things that we do not want to see that like you know it's context is making it very clear what's happening there's this very like hyper uh quick cut editing that's happening to this that kind of gives it a sense of chaos and makes it upsetting and and dramatic but also doesn't really you know, dwell on anything that would, you know, I think that a lot of male directors would, in fact, dwell on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. And <clears throat> this is, I think, a a weird parallel between this movie and Velocipaster. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of many. <laughs> but, I mean, they're basically the same movie. Uh, <laughs> but um, like. Both movies in a lot of ways are um, like it almost has to be intentional mix of really amazing filmmaking and really poor filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where like the way that like the scene, the the scenes of violence and the scenes of assault and everything are shot and cut and edited. Are re- just really well executed, really well done. But then there's other parts where, like, the camera shouldn't be moving. Oh, like, yeah. when it's just, like, conversations and it's just kind of shifting and not steady. And it'll just linger on a shot for 
for a way that like wasn't artistic. It just they didn't cut it soon enough. And um, that's not even getting into the fact that the ADR for this movie is atrocious. Oh, it's well, yeah, it's ludicrous. Or you'll get like someone says a line while there's a cam- a shot like lingering on like b-roll of like kitchen cabinets or like yeah the the birds in the park like it's just filming the birds yeah i i kind of i don't know this like i haven't actually researched it enough but i kind of have the theory that she just wasn't able to because i mean she made these movies for like seventy thousand dollars they left they were they were all very cheaply made uh but i get the sense that i don't think they were miked on the day. Like, I don't think she had the ability to roll sound because every single line is ADR. You know, I I don't think she was able to record audio while making these movies and just relied on trying to sync it up as best she could in post-production and probably didn't have the time or resources to match that super well. So it's all of the above. Yeah. So it's often just kind of, uh, yeah, out of sync and and all that and doesn't match sometimes doesn't even match like the face doesn't match the way the lines deliver. There, there's a lot of that. But it also I think with the sort of jazzy soundtrack and everything, it it still works somehow, even though it is very obvious that, you know, no, no dialogue is actually being organically recorded. I still think it's it's interesting to watch like there, i don't know there's something mesmerizing about this movie i find that every time i watch it that it's it's just sort of hypnotically chaotic if that makes sense yeah no i would agree with that i'll also offer this having watched a few interviews of uh saucy old aspirational lady <laughs> aspirational saucy old lady doris wishman that's how i want to say it um I believe she was not interested in matching the ADR to the movie. Well, she just said, absolutely not. I don't give a shit. Just put it where I, I do love. Let's, I felt- Let's get it close and we'll keep moving. <laughs> Look, the lines just need to be said. I did find this one quote from her that I, I really loved, which is she said, I felt if I had the money, I could have done better. Which I think sums up her approach to filmmaking. I think that sums up the lives of... <laughs> Every woman I've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) That is now the official quote of feminism. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean. I guess a question I would like to pose is. Obviously, the the framework for this podcast is uh, watching maligned movies to give them the silver to get to find their silver linings. Is this movie on the podcast because it doesn't have a big enough audience? Or do you think that uh, some of the technical snafus are justifiable malignings for this movie? I think it's all of it. I mean, I think that the genre itself allowed it to uh, just sort of be ignored and, and be dismissed. I think there are some technical stuff. I would also weirdly if I could compare it to Velocipaster again. <laughs> because uh, there was something that Windmuller said on that episode that I think rings true for this too, which is that I think if you were to ask people who liked this movie and who didn't like this movie, their opinion, they would sound similar. <laughs> you know? Like, oh. Yeah, that I think people 
who didn't like it would probably not like it for the same reasons that I think people who like it like it. So I, I think that all of that is true because it doesn't have good reviews. It doesn't have good overall like IMDb scores or letterbox scores or any of that. Like just as many people, I think, come to this and watch it and don't like it, don't like sort of vibe with what it's doing are off put by it maybe the the quality of it or the you know understandably the genre or subject matter and all of that but yeah i i think that it's both yeah that's i think that's sort of where i sit with it too is um i don't know that i could recommend anyone watch this movie oh like, i totally agree with that <laughs> um and it's the same but again like I doubt I will ever watch this movie again. Once was plenty. Um, but at the same time, like there was a, a lot to like appreciate. I think rather than enjoy about this movie is probably a better way to put it. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the things that even the best made Ruffy, whatever that might be, is still an incredibly difficult watch. And I think triply so in 2022. Yeah, I would say um, if, if I can maybe to to add to what you said, I wouldn't recommend that anyone watch this casually. But I think this film should be studied in academic settings like. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100 percent. Yeah, I think there's a lot to. And I think that's why we're talking about it. There's a lot just as we are an academic setting. Well, this is <laughs> I've always I've always viewed Silver Linings Playback as primarily I think that everyone listening and this goes to Molly too. If you're listening to this and you are in college demand that you get college credit for listening to this show. I mean, this is like, we're in the hundreds now. So that's hundreds of hours that you should be getting credit for towards a your film degree study, expert film study. Yeah, exactly. This is a clinic. At the very least you should be getting elective credit for this. <laughs> I, yeah. Or, Cultural and if that anthropology. Could get me an adjunct <laughs> if that could get me an adjunct professor, uh, paycheck to go to support my income yeah. for all of us, that Will would be that ideal. Will your income? <laughs> well, it won't detract from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Andy is a teacher, so that's already like he's just bringing that teacher energy. And I'm obviously bringing a lot of sophisticated knowledge to this podcast as well. So, like, I think we'll we'll do it together. Is that a thing? Are there like tag team professors? You can co-teach classes. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. I See, that's why Andy's a teacher, because he knew the word <laughs> co-teach. It's not called tag teaming. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I look all, all of that to say <laughs> that sincerely, I think this is a fascinating time capsule about like the the genre itself, like a woman in the 1960s making films, uh, all of it, just like low budget filmmaking, grindhouse filmmaking. I do think there's a lot just societal norms, expectations of women. I think you could write 50 different papers about this movie. And I mean that sincerely about like you could pick oh, absolutely. specific themes or ideas or scenes and unpack them endlessly in an academic setting. And I encourage everyone to do that and send those to us because I would read. Well, them. Yeah. yeah. And like because I mean, there's everything from is uh, her first roommate in New York, a closeted gay man to like everything else that this like all the other things that hint at about subculture society in the 1960s I would, New York. Oh, yeah, I would also be interested in 
is she does she want to have a relationship with the clearly like lesbian character or like and she's not doing it because she feels like that wouldn't be acceptable or does she not want the advances of that character in the same way that she doesn't want the advances from men you know like because she says she wants to stay but also is clearly leaving so i think that you could un- you could write a whole paper about oh, that scene too i i remember uh joel you and i talking after seeing it where my take or one of my takes on the movie was about the sort of like compartmentalizing her wanting emotional intimacy and uh like sexual gratification but not being able to have both so finding one side of it meant being punished in another way and finding her relationship with her uh female roommate sort of being the a kind of like a heartbreak point yeah, that like she it was maybe kind of the closest she could get to having both, but not in the way she wanted. Like that was kind of how I read it the first time. But then seeing her relationship with her husband being the kind of um, like most obvious extreme of like she doesn't get either. She gets nothing emotionally from her husband and she encounters the worst violence uh, sexually. Like she can't have any of it. Like. Right. Um, but that was kind of how I read it the first time. Right. Of being and like, like in the the first, you know, the opening scene, you think that this is a healthy relationship in the 1960s. And <laughs> but like, Isn't I mean, it, that's the way it's sort of shot. Yeah. That's the way it's like sort of implied. Oh, yeah, well, and then you like peel back that layer a little bit like, oh, no, this is awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Isn't it so sweet? Don't you just have everything? Just stay here and wait for me. I'll be back to give you everything you want. It's not what I want. It's not what I need. Well, okay right. then. Anyway, go to bed. Shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. And then do some chores while I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Do your stupid little things you do during the day while I don't think about you at all. Like, it's it's very sad, but very... Like, yeah, I've got to go do a business. So. Yeah. Which also feels equally possible that he is not going into an office. Like, that whatever Absolutely he's... not. Yeah, on a Saturday, whatever yeah, he he's actually doing. fully Don Draper in that situation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whatever he's doing, it's bad. Something yeah. bad. It's yeah, something for... bad. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's a million and one ways to interpret this movie, which is fantastic. Like, that's how you know it's a great movie. Or at least an interesting one. Which I also, I mean, we kind of talked on yeah, it. I was going to push back on that statement. So there's a plenty of movies that leave no, a ton of interpretation I, that are absolute garbage. That's why I corrected but... myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think maybe it's it's worth talking a little bit more about the the ending because we kind of alluded to it. But I don't know. I, I would maybe be interested in zooming in on a little bit more because that is definitely how I took it was that it is this cycle, that it is this Groundhog Day that, yeah, every time... At the end, she gets caught and then wakes up that it's almost kind of resetting that she immediately is back in that bed. And no matter what, because that's also made clear, she makes a different decision at the end where she picks a different pair of underwear and it's still the exact same thing happens. And so I get the impression that that's also telling you, too, that like she's like you can assume this this scenario is just playing out over and over again. And it doesn't really matter what choices she makes that always the same things are going to happen. That she always ends up killing that guy. She always ends up going to New York. Uh, New York is just an endless series of bad things. And then she's back there. Well, I see. This is why I love thinking about this movie, because if you take that as let's say she's already let's say she's already in hell. Like 
and this is her Sisyphean task. Yeah. Of, yeah. 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 Then to me, I interpret that as like bad girls go to hell. She's a bad girl. She's already there, which to me extrapolate that there's who's who's a good girl. Nobody. You well, live in this world. Yeah, I think all it, women are bad. Well, yeah. And I think that um, also just the fact that. Like she seems in the opening shots sexually actualized in that, you know, she's naked in bed. That wasn't something that was shown Mm -hmm. in popular media in the 50s and 60s. Um, So, you know, they heavily implied a sexual relationship between this husband and wife in a way that popular culture didn't at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's a bad girl for having a sexual identity and with her husband wanting with her husband. And, you know, having wants and goals beyond being a housewife and homemaker. And that's that's the bad girl. And so she has to be eternally damned for it. Yeah. No, I mean. Uh, also, this movie is being shown on loop at the GOP completely unironically. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, America. <laughs> well, they ended up watching it because they just said bad girls go to hell. Like without. And then they realized that was a movie. They were just, you know. Yeah. And they were like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> but uh, I liked all the parts of this movie I'm definitely not supposed to like. <laughs> I liked this movie wrong. <laughs> and it's like, maybe you should watch uh, some of Doris Wishman's other movies, like the documentary called Let Me Die a Woman. You know, about uh, one of the <laughs> about a trans woman receiving gender confirmation. Com- yeah, gender confirmation surgery. You know, she did that, too. She was really cool. Yeah, yeah Doris Wishman's awesome. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> it, it, if there's no other silver lining to watching this movie and doing this episode, it because um, I know that, like, just talking about we we're t- considering doing a whole Doris Wishman month at one point. Um, so just learning about her and learning about what um, she was doing as a filmmaker, uh, it, that it, in and of itself is makes this experience worthwhile oh yeah um and if you want to get generic with uh silver linings for this movie the soundtrack slaps oh, like it's that so is good. just it's so just peak 60s mod culture like rich wealthy like just swanky uh mid-century i've uh, as a yeah this is the seedy underbelly of that girl 100 percent. i mean as somebody who geeks out on like mid-century modern everything the fashion, the furniture, the soundtrack. I love it. <laughs> yeah, the makeup, the everything. Oh, the style, the hair. Like, it's great. Yeah. I also do. I mean, I, I would be remiss if we ended this episode without spotlighting uh, Gigi Darlene, who is the lead, who I think is also great in this movie, who was apparently like a staple of like the nudies and these kind of films of the time. But like she's effortlessly charming. She's very charismatic. She does really carry this movie, I think. I like when she does the handstand when she's in the apartment. Really just the acrobatic dancing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which also we didn't really talk about this scene, but that scene is has such like girls at a slumber party energy. Yes. Of yeah. just like, we're just dancing and goofing off. I love that you're doing handstands. You're going to get a job real quick, girl. Let me hype you up. Like, what? This is great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I would even go as far to say that she far and away gives the best acting performance, that it doesn't matter that her ADR is a little bit out of loop. Oh, yeah. Like, 
just like the way she like goes from like the damsel in distress for lack of a better word to um actually resisting to just her like just utter hopelessness in the face of this just vicious cycle for lack of a better you know way to describe it samsara energy there yeah oh yeah Yeah. no she like the like the work she does with just like a glance or you know just a very expressive face just great physical performance in all aspects whether it's doing her little cartwheels and handstands or um just being those horrific scenes of of sexual violence like it's she's a she is and the rest of the actors in the movie. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a sort of a mixed bag outside of her. I will say that janitor looks creepy as hell. So a plus oh, casting. So creepy. Uh, that you immediately get that you should stay away from that guy just from the first time you see his face. But no, I just the other thing I'll add to that, too, because you kind of mentioned Don Draper for her husband, which I think is totally true. But like, I, I also really just enjoyed the stretch of time between when her husband leaves and when she leaves the apartment where she's just sort of hanging out in the apartment and she is cleaning up there is some serious like betty draper energy to i'm a sad housewife alone in my apartment doing my little chores to to pass the time till husband comes home i don't know who i am because no one has actually told me that i can be anyone Honestly, like alone? The way you just described that reminds me of those Totinos. Uh, yes! <laughs> like Saturday Night Live. What's your name? I don't have one. Yeah, there's a little bit of Totino's wife from those SNL oh, man. sketches. That, those sketches are so good. <laughs> Look, I'll just so put it good. this way. Like, as again, as someone who loves all things mid-century, the one thing I don't love is... The idea of existing as a woman during that time. <laughs> Give me the furniture and let me put it in my 2022 apartment. <laughs> Although, unless that woman and is... I want to dress like it and look like it. Well, that's it. <laughs> well, again, unless the unless the, the woman that you are in that time period is Doris Wishman, whose husband was dead and who I imagine was chain smoking cigarettes and making these films. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to listen to Henry Mancini in present day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if there's, if there's anything else specifically we want to spotlight or or anything about this movie before we start wrapping up, but I have something else that I do want to, uh, mention if not. I think I've hit on most what I need to, what I felt I needed to say about this. No, I, I very much appreciate this movie. I'm, I'm glad it exists. I love i highly recommend just looking up interviews with doris wishman because saucy old ladies just make me so happy and she is there's something really special about them yeah and she is just iconic she is the sauciest she really is but yeah that's kind of uh the last thing i wanted to say before we wrap up is because we've all, I think, across the board said, unless that you're sort of academically looking at this, we probably don't recommend watching this movie. I'll go ahead and say I recommend watching either Deadly Weapons or Double Agent 73, which were her 1970s films uh, that starred Chesty Morgan. Double so- Agent 73 <laughs> is wild. So if you want something <laughs> like if you understandably listen to this episode and were like, I don't think I will be consuming that. Good choice. Totally understandable. I get it. And you want the magic of Doris Wishman in a lighter, more fun setting. 
her her chesty morgan <laughs> collaborations are suitably ridiculous 70s movies uh that are sort of the spy genre ridiculous you know like watch them i i'll just leave you with two words camera boobs yes <laughs> yeah there's literally a plot in double agent 73 where she that's how she takes photos is by touching her breasts in a specific way that makes the shutter open and close don't think about it too much or think about it a lot do whatever you want <laughs> yeah who are we to judge <laughs> but yeah molly thank you so much for for doing this episode and obviously for inspiring probably this whole month uh because of the doris wishman stuff that you and i have been watching lately so yeah totally thanks for watching nude on the moon with me that one night where we were going through a criterion channel and i was like there's a movie called nude on the moon we have to watch it that was the beginning was yeah because <laughs> that, that's how it all starts like you see a movie called nude on the moon there are two types of people and if you're the kind who scrolls past it to find something else i, I don't want to talk to you yeah <laughs> how did they get on the moon why are they nude there i have questions how are they surviving as nudes on the moon why are there tropical plants on the moon <laughs> Yeah, why does the moon look like a Boca Raton resort? <laughs> Listen, as it's clearly well established that the moon landing was 100% faked, we don't know that it's not. That's true. We, we don't know anything about the moon. No one's ever been there. So. Also, you know what's fun about that movie is that you can track when uh, they were filming, like the, uh, when shots were filmed based on the development of the sunburn on the actresses. <laughs> That's true. Because the moon apparently does not have suntan lotion because it was the 1960s. So it didn't occur to anyone that that would be a good thing. I mean, there's a lot to be studied about how the UV radiation affects. Well, there's, I mean, there's no atmosphere really to disperse the uh, sun's rays. So you're getting that full bombardment. Well, yeah, they don't have the, um, the magnetic field that the Earth does. See... This is what I'm talking about. We are an educational podcast. Demand credit for this. <laughs> and whatever university gives you credit for listening to that podcast, please give them our email addresses. We're available. So curious. We can easily become at slp.edu if we need to. Oh, man, 100%. Silver Linings Playback is a production of hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We, we have, have to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloth Network at peaksloth.com. Peaksloth.